Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, uh, it is good to see you today, and if you're brand new here, I want to welcome you. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Rocky Peak, and so if you're, you're brand new, you will not know this, but inside of our program is a message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching, so I encourage you to take that out, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump in. You guys all set? You ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church, and in this, this weekend, a, as we celebrate uh, kind of those who have gone before us, who have paid the ultimate price uh, for our, our freedom, uh, God, we, we realize that the ultimate model of that is, is you, your son, that paid this ultimate price that, that we could be reconciled, brought back into a relationship. And so as we talk today, unpacking how that works and, and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and then to be part of your movement, it shares that message with others. We pray that you'd come and just teach with, with power. I pray for me, my voice. I pray for clarity. I pray for uh, this church as we gather around your word now. We pray, Jesus, you would come and be our teacher, that this would be a time of encounter with you and eyes opening and as you speak personally to us by name. Uh, we, we pray that it would be as if it were, we're the only one in the room, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing the series that we've been in now uh, for about seven weeks, six or seven weeks, called The Power to Change. And for those of you who are new, not only want to welcome you, but I always like to take just a minute or two and bring you up to speed. So this is a series uh, based on a letter in the New Testament written by a man that we call the Apostle Paul, and it's written to a church that he had started about five years before uh, in the southern tip of Greece, a major metropolitan seaport city, very important city in the ancient world uh, called Corinth. That, that city is still there today. And so, so he starts the church, and, and, and now he's away from the church, and from time to time he'll write a letter to help him kind of grow spiritually, get back on track spiritually. And so this is the second letter of his that we actually have. We have two of those letters, and so he called it Second Corinthians. Now, the topic on the table, that what he's been talking about uh, in this series is that that, that through the death and resurrection of, of Jesus, that when he came to planet Earth, when he, he died and he rose, that, that it changed the game. It was a game changer. That, that when Jesus came, it, it ushered in kind of a new era in human history. It allows us to enter into a new relationship with God that the Bible calls, uh, the Old Testament called the, the New Covenant. So we've been talking about that. And so in, in Jeremiah 31 in the Old Testament, it said that when Messiah came, he would usher in this new age, this new era of the human race. We could enter into relationship. And, and, and Jeremiah prophesied there'd be three or four gifts that would come. And so almost every week in this series, we've just talked uh, briefly about that. And so this new covenant, this new relationship, kind of like marriage is a covenant, a new relationship with God, three things were prophesied as gifts is that, that we would receive forgiveness of sins, kind of all crimes against the king would be forgiven. Second, a new knowledge of God, a firsthand experiential uh, personal relationship with God would come into, into view. Third, that we'd receive a new power. It'd be a power to change, which is where we've taken the, the name for this series, a power to change and become like Jesus, become the people who love God, love others like we're created to be. And then this is all possible because the gift of his spirit. So the new covenant age is the covenant, the age of the spirit, when the Holy Spirit would come and live in us to change us from the inside out. And so we've been talking about these three or four gifts, you know, multiple times. But last week, if you were here, Paul said that actually when someone comes to Jesus, it is a supernatural event. It's, it's a powerful event that at the core of their being, they're changed from the inside out. He said it's like a new creation. Just like there was a first creation, it's like a new creation. At the core of their being, they are changed. They'll never be the same. And so this week he wants to pick up on that and, and talk about how did that happen? 
How is it possible that this rebel race, right, that have rebelled against God, rejected his leadership, kind of spit in his face, uh, gone until over to the side of the enemy, and, and therefore were under judgment, were under sentence for high treason as a race, how does it work that God's able to come in and offer this offer of forgiveness when, when if he is really good and right and true, he should be holding us accountable for this treason, right? It's like someone commits treason, they should be executed, not forgiven and rewarded. And so how does that work out? And, and how do we enter into relationship with God? Is it, what does it mean to really be a follower of Jesus? How does this whole covenant work? And so there in your note sheet, there's a section that's called the New Creation, How It Works. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick it up at 5.17, uh, where we left off last week, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're going we're to walk through chapter 6 and verse 2 as Paul explains how this new creation, how this new covenant is possible, how it works. And so if you have your Bible, let's turn there, or your iPad, or your phone, or whatever, uh, whatever you have. Uh, as long as it has it, it's good. So uh, 5.17 um, We'll pick up where we left off last week. So, if therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they've come into relationship with Christ, um, that he is a new what? He's a new creation. And so we talked about that last week. When someone comes to Christ, it is a supernatural miracle. No one can make it happen on their own. It's God saying, let there be light. It's God raising the dead. It's a supernatural act that changes us from the inside out. It gives us new passions. It gives us new priorities. It gives us new perspectives. And most of all, it gives us a new purpose that we're used to live for ourselves. Now we're going to live for God. And so he goes on. He says, all this, this new creation, it's from God. It's not something that we've done. And, and who's reconciled us. And so catch this. This is a key word. Now, now, we don't use the word reconcile a lot in our culture. We use it some, don't we? Like, we, like in marriages. Like if a marriage uh, couple splits up and then they get back together, we say they what? They, they reconcile. And so we use it some, but this is a very important word in our passage today. Reconciliation, talk, it, it describes the, the restoration of relationship. That's what it's about. Two people that are at odds, two people that are, that are enemies, they get reconciled. And so, so we are the rebel race. Uh, we rejected God's leadership. We, uh, we, created high, we, we committed high treason against our true king. And so we have been on enemy lines. We followed the great enemy. Uh, and so that's who we are before we've come to Christ. And so, so this world and its creator, the creator and the creation are at odds uh, they're enemies, and, and what Paul is saying is that God has acted to reconcile God to his creation, right? And that's going to happen through Christ, and so he's going to explain how that happens. He says, all this is from God who gave us the, uh, the uh, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so today, there's kind of two topics on the table. One is the message of reconciliation. How did God do this? The other is the messenger of reconciliation. Because remember, in Corinth, this is the big deal. These new teachers have come in. They're claiming Paul isn't truly an apostle of Jesus. They're criticizing his, his motives, his intent, but they're also criticizing his message. They're bringing in a new Jesus, a, a different gospel, as we'll see later. And, and so Paul says, I want to talk to you about the message of reconciliation but I want you to talk about as me as the messenger. God's chosen me as the messenger. And catch this, if you reject the messenger, you reject the message. 
And if you reject the message of reconciliation, there's no way to be reconciled. And so that's why Paul cares so much about how they see him, not because he has like a big ego or like a power trip, but because of the linkage. Like he is the message. His life is the message. So, so if you reject him, you reject the message. And so he wants them to understand that God has, has this, me- this message, but he's also sent Paul as a messenger. And so he says he's given us the, the ministry of reconciliation. And so here it is. That God, here's the message, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, and, and here's how he did it, not counting men's sins against them. And, and so th- this is the question, how, how do you let a rebel race, how do you reconcile yourself to a rebel race when they deserve execution? How does that happen? Uh, God may love us, he may care about us, he may want to re- reconcile, but but. What, how, how do you feel about a judge that lets the, the evil go free, right? Like, like yesterday, when I was working out in the afternoon, I was watching an old Mel Gibson movie. It was called Edge of Darkness. I don't know if you've seen it. But it was just kind of a typical conspiracy movie, right? Typical government conspiracy movie where you have, you know, the innocent being slaughtered and killed by powerful government leaders who are behind the scene are doing this conspiracy and covering it up. Right? And so, so when you see a movie like that, what happens? Inside of you, you're always cheering for the bad guys to get caught and punished. Right? You, you always like, we would hate a movie where the, the people committing this conspiracy get away with it. Like we'd go, no, like the credits can't roll. Like it can't in this way. This is wrong. Uh, the bad guys have to get caught. There's something within us as a human race that we know the difference of right and wrong and, and that it's the, the guilty need to be punished. And so, so if, you, if we hear or read in the newspaper about a judge that lets the, the, the criminals go free, uh, we get angry, don't we? Because it's not right. And, and so we can see that so clearly when it involves other people. <laughs> oh, but when it's us, it's like, can't we just say it never happened? Right? And so, so the question is, how does this God, who is good and right and true, who's the judge of the world, how does he let off a race that's rebelled and commit high treason, a greater crime than any human crime that we could, we could commit? Because we created, we've committed against the creator of the universe. And so how does that happen? How does God let men's sins go? That, that, this is the issue. He says that that's what he's done, but of course the question is, how has he done it? And so in verse, uh, the end of verse 19, he says that he's committed to us as apostles. He's talking, he's using the apostolic we at this point, the apostolic uh, kind of plural. He says he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So, so this is the message that God's led us off as a race, an offer of amnesties on the table, but uh, and he says he's committed to that message to us. We're the messengers of how this thing works. And so he says, so we therefore, verse 20, we are Christ's what? We're his ambassadors. And so, so we know how an ambassador works, right? Like if President Obama sends an ambassador to Europe or ambassador to Russia, ambassador to Uganda, we understand how this works, that, that that person represents the president. He represents the United States of America. And so when he speaks, he's not speaking for himself He's speaking for the country he represents. He has no authority in himself. He has authority as an ambassador chosen to speak for the king. And, and so, of course, when you reject the ambassador, you reject the nation that sent the ambassador. So Paul says, we, uh, 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So he's not really talking about us as Christians. This verse is often used that way. They were ambassadors for Christ. It's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about we as an apostle, right? We'll talk about applications later, but he's talking about we as, as an apostle of Jesus. I've been chosen. I'm his ambassador to take you this message, this offer of amnesty. And so he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. He's like, when you hear me coming to you, Court, that I'm sharing the, the message, it's, it's as if God himself is speaking through us, bringing you this offer. He says, so therefore we implore you, we beg you on Christ's behalf, on behalf of Jesus himself, to be reconciled to God. He says, Corinthians, that God has made this offer through Jesus, he's made it possible for you to come back into relationship with God, to enter into this new covenant. And, and that offer is on the table, but you have to accept the offer. So, so don't follow these new teachers, don't follow this different message. Be reconciled, accept the offer, and, and come back. And now he's going to give us one of the most important passages in all the New Testament because in this passage, he's going to kind of crystallize kind of the, the gospel, the message of reconciliation into one just short verse. And here it is. He says, this is how he did it. That God made him who had no sin. Now, who would that be? Jesus, right. So God made him who had no sin. Uh, Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, doesn't have the, the fallen human nature, and, and he's born, and, and so he's got this love for God, this love for people. He lives his whole life in obedience to his Father, even obedience to death on a cross, total submission, uh, and, and so uh, he lives a perfect life, and so he says that he, uh, God made him who uh, had no sin to be sin for whom? For, for us, to make sin for us. And so, so there is this exchange that takes place, right? In theology, we call it the great exchange, where, where uh, that Paul says, it's like, it's like okay, so you're, like, you're here, right? Here, here's Jesus, right? He's here, uh, and he has no sin. Here's the human race. Here's your life over here. Uh, you have all kinds of sin, right? And he says, so what's going to happen is that that God is going to trade places, that he's going to step into your place and he's going to take the punishment, the, the sentence for your sin is going to be put on him uh, and then you're going to step over here. And here's the amazing thing. You're going to get credit for the life that he lived. Okay, so it's a, it's a double exchange. Are you following me? It's not just that, that he takes your sin. It's that you get credit for his life as if you live the life he lived. And so the way Paul puts it is that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's the part we normally get. But catch this, so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. And so there's this, this great exchange. In the Old Testament, you kind of see a picture of this exchange where, where uh, when the priest or the leader of the people would offer a sacrifice uh, for the people uh, for their sin, that the priest would often, I don't know if you've ever heard this or you remember this, but he would take his hand and the priest would lay his hand on the head of the innocent animal that was without blemish. Now what's he doing? It's a symbolic way of he's transferring guilt. Right, he's transferring guilt. So he's taking the guilt of himself or the guilt of the people, and he's transferring that to the animal. Right, and so there's an exchange that happens. And so this is what happens in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is a great exchange that happens, and this is how God is able to forgive a rebel race. And so he goes on then in chapter six and verse one, and he says, "So as God's fellow workers, you know, Paul's an ambassador. He says, we urge you." not to receive the grace of God in what? In vain. So catch this. This offer is not automatic. 
God is making an offer to us as a race. That through Christ, he has set it up so that you can exchange your life for Christ's life. Your sin for his righteousness. There is an offer on the table. And if you come back to your true king, and you surrender to him, and you trust your life to him, and you follow him, then this exchange takes place. And so when a man or woman comes to Christ, there is a miracle. It's a miracle of new creation, but the reason it's possible is because of the great exchange. Someone has to pay for that crime. And for this miracle of creation to happen, there has to be this exchange. So when a man or woman comes to Jesus and they say, I bow the knee to you as my true king and I I accept the offer, this exchange happens in their life. And the miracle of new creation happens. But, But catch this, it's an offer that has to be received. It's not automatic. And so it's possible for God to make the offer and us not to receive the offer. That's what he means. Like an ambassador, when an ambassador goes to a country and he makes an offer, they have to respond to that offer, don't they? They either take it or you leave it, but you have to respond. And so Paul's saying to these Corinthians who are considering following the new teachers and the new Jesus and the new message, he's pouring out his heart. He says, as God's fellow workers, 6-1, we urge you not to receive the God's grace in vain. Like, don't blow this offer. For he says, God says, this is a quote from Isaiah 49. God says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the time of salvation, I helped you. And so what Paul is saying is there are certain times when God comes knocking in our life with an offer to help an offer of salvation, I've heard your prayers. He says, and when those time, when that time, when God comes knocking, you don't want to miss that day. Like you don't want to not respond when God has an offer on the table. And so Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. In other words, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the offer is on the table. There's no other offer that's coming down the, the, down, down the pipeline. This is it. Offers there. And so God is making the offer, uh, this offer of amnesty, this offer of new creation. So how are you going to respond? And Paul says, don't put it off. Uh, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Now is the time. Make the deal. Accept the offer. Give your life to Christ uh, you don't want to put this off because nothing better is coming along. This, this is it. All right, so, so that's the passage. The passage is new creation. Uh, how does it happen? It happens through this reconciliation. It happens through Christ. This great exchange that takes place and, and that we need to respond to that. And so, so what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to live in new covenant reality? What does it mean to be part of the movement of Jesus that's at its core a missional movement? At the core of Jesus, it's, it's a missional movement of taking the message of reconciliation out to the world so the world can be restored. So those are some things we're going to be unpacking today. So there in your note sheet, you have a session called The Message, The Message of Reconciliation. And what I want to do is take some time and unpack this powerful passage Paul's laid out and just highlight three important principles for us as followers of Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to enter into a relationship with God? How does our relationship with God work? And what does it mean to be part of this movement, part of this message movement? And so here we go. Number one, the first principle is that this message, this message of reconciliation, this message is shocking. Now, if you're here today and you're a longtime believer, uh, like, like, for example, like I became a Christian when I was four, um, 
And so if, if you're like me or you're a longtime believer, uh, chances are the message may not appear shocking. Uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for the way I was raised, the, the, the gift of growing up in a Christian home. It's one of the greatest blessings of my life. But, but I think there's a downside to this. And the downside is if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, it's often possible to get so familiar with the message of the cross that we miss it altogether. We, we miss it altogether. And so the, the reality is for us today, whether you're a Christ follower here or not, the reality is the message of the cross should be shocking. My, my hunch is for many of us it isn't, but, but it is shocking. And what, what I want to do is put it this way, is that when the message of reconciliation came to the ancient world, to the Roman world, it was shocking. It was shocking, and it was shocking for a couple reasons. And I want to take some time to unpack this. It's so important as we understand the message of Jesus, new covenant reality. The first reason it was shocking was because the message involved the cross. Right, right. The claim was that the God of the universe had, had come in the person of Jesus Christ to restore all creation, and the way that he demonstrated his power was, was through the cross. Now, now I, I recognize, like, in our culture, we are very familiar with crosses, right? Like, we, we have crosses on our neck, we got crosses on the hell, we got crosses on, on the wall. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, chances are you may have a cross. It's, it's part of our culture, isn't it? And so, so for us, like, the message of the cross is not shocking because we don't understand what the cross is. But in the ancient world, the cross was the instrument of, uh, of the worst torture and uh, execution that had ever been devised by the Roman government at that point. Uh, the, the cross was so horrendous that it doesn't matter. In Roman culture, if you're a citizen of Rome, it doesn't matter what crime you've committed. You could, you could kill the Caesar. And you know, it was illegal for you to be crucified. It was considered such a horrendous death that, that only the uh, slaves, the lowest of the low, uh, non-Roman citizens would, would be crucified. And when you were crucified, uh, it, it was just the most painful thing. It would, it would, you know, they would whip you. They, it was humiliating. They, they would put, put you on the cross naked. Uh, they would put you outside the city by the roads, hanging there naked. It would, a typical crucifixion would last for days. Uh, you're, you're there in the hot sun, being beaten, uh, hanging from the nails. You can't breathe. That's, that's why you die of asphyxiation. You can't, you can't breathe. You'd be pushing yourself up, up on the nails. The flies, the insects are buzzing around you. It would take, you're out there in the freezing nights, uh, you're in the hot burning sun, and, and you're naked at everyone that goes by. And the message is, the message of the cross is, don't mess with Rome. That, that's the message of the cross. And so it, crucifixion was, was common, the lowest, low, do you know this, in, in Roman culture, that in high Roman society, it was considered uncouth or, or really uh, just kind of not appropriate even to ever talk about the cross in polite society. It was that horrendous, okay? And so, so, so when the message comes that, that the God of the universe has reconciled the world and he's done it through the cross, which was the, the emblem, that the, the symbol of uh, humiliation and shame and utter powerlessness, right? That, that when that message, the God, the creator God has been crucified, uh, like when that message came, it was utterly ridiculous and shocking. It was scandalous. It was 
foolish. It was, it was just beyond comprehension. It was so shocking. In fact, uh, there, it, it, we've, we've discovered, archaeologists have discovered in the first century, uh, you know, the, the first century of, of, of Christ, that first century, that we have found some graffiti. And it was graffiti in a Roman prison where Christians were being arrested and then uh, put to death as Christ followers. And there's this, there's this picture of this one particular guy. I can't remember his name. It's like Alexandrus, I think his name. And it's, it's, it's Alexandrus, and he's down. It's graffiti that the Roman guards have put up. And, and he's down on his knees, and he's up. He's worshiping this being on a cross. And it's like a human being with a donkey head. And it says, Alexandros worships his God. Are, are you with me? This is what, when the message of the cross came, it was the most ridiculous thing you'd ever heard of. And so that's why in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, in in chapter 1, he puts these famous words there in your note sheet. Paul says, we preach, I mean, this is our message, we preach Christ, remember Christ means Messiah, so we preach Christ crucified. That, that's our message. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself through the cross. That's the message. And he says it's a stumbling block to Jews. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the Bible said that anyone who is hung on a tree is under the curse of God. And so the thought that the Messiah would be hung on a cross was the ultimate oxymoron to, to the Jewish nation. And so to them it was a stumbling block, but to those that God, uh, he says, and his foolishness to Gentiles, are you serious? The creator God hung on a Roman cross, uh, uh, indicted by a Roman government for, for treason, uh, uh, powerless, uh, crucified, this utter shameful death, painful death by a Roman governor, that is the creator of the universe. Are you serious here? Are you serious? It was absolutely shocking. He says, but to those whom God has called, and when Paul says called, he means supernaturally called, veil removed, brought to the reality. He says, to those whom God has called, it doesn't matter if it's Jews or Greeks, what your background is, why you think it's ridiculous, Christ is the power of God, and he is the wisdom of God. And so when the the message first came to the ancient world, that was through the cross, God, it was absolutely shocking, because it was so ridiculous. The second reason, though, it was so shocking was because it portrayed, for the first time in human history, it introduced a new vision of who God is. It's it's a new story about who God is. Like like up to this point in human history, if you were to study ancient religions, the history of religion, but for the most part, by and large, is there's a strong sense in the human race that we have done something wrong that there's something wrong with us. And so, so when you're dealing with the gods, it's all about appeasing the gods, right? The gods are angry, we have to. So if you study world history, study ancient religion, this is what, the story of, of religion, the story of, 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 of worship is a story of appeasement. It's all about sacrifice. It's all about bringing your crops. It's all about uh, uh, sacrificing animals. It's about sometimes even sacrificing your firstborn son, your child, putting him in the, the hands of a burning idol as a, as a way to appease the gods. The gods are angry. The gods are ticked off. We've done something wrong. We need to make them happy. We need to protect ourselves from the judgment of the gods. That's the story of the 
human race, right? And so when Jesus comes, when the message of reconciliation comes, it, it, it's a totally different story. You're not totally different. The story is, yes, you are the rebel race. Yes, you are under judgment. Yes, there is a sentence of death for, for your rebellion against the king. But here's the most amazing thing that you're ever going to hear, that this God, instead of requiring a sacrifice, this God has come to be a sacrifice, that this God has come to do what you could never do for yourself. In spite of your rebellion, in spite of your hatred, in spite of the fact you're his enemies, that this God has become one of us to hang on a Roman cross because he is so passionate about you, he would rather die than lose you. This is the message. And can I tell you, when that message came, the world had never heard of anything like this. They had never even imagined a God who would love us that much, who would come after us. And I think that, that it, we get so comfortable with the message, we miss the obvious. Let, let, let's go back. This is Memorial Day week. Let's go back to 9-11. Do you remember those first hours or days after 9-11, you remember the images of smoking buildings, of the, the, the twin towers falling, the, the attack on the Pentagon. Pentagon. And, and we, we're angry as a nation, right? We don't know what to do, but we, we want to take somebody out, right? And so we hear it's this, this Osama bin Laden guy. He, he's behind this Taliban helping him out. And so we, what, what are we going to do? We got to take this guy out. We got we to get vengeance. We got to get justice, right? And so, so we are, we're, we're, that's where we're at. Now, can you imagine that in the midst of that, President Bush goes on air and he says, you know what, I I know we've suffered a great loss. I know this is a tremendous enemy. I I know they hate everything we stand for, but I I love Osama bin Laden. And and I want to bring him back. And and he's he's just been raised that way. He just doesn't know. And and, and, and so here's my plan. I'm going to send one of my daughters to go meet with Osama bin Laden. Right, and, and, and I know it's probably not going to go so well, and, and she may be arrested, and she'll probably be flogged, and she'll probably be raped, and she'll probably be hung up. They may even hang her on a cross because they think of us as a Christian nation and, and just suffer and, and die. But, but I, I've got to go after them. I'm going to send my daughter because I, there's got to be a way to win them back. Are, are you with me? Can you, can you, like, who is going to do that? Right? Who is going to do that? But that is the God that we have. A God who sends his son. He knows he's going to be beaten. He knows he's going to be uh, naked. He knows his flesh is going to be taken from his back. He knows he's going to be hung on a tree. He knows his legs are going to be broken. He knows he's going to be spit on and mocked. But he says, but this is what it's going to take. This is what it's going to take to win them back. It's the only way. It's the only way to win them back. I've got to show them I love them, and I've got to make a way. And so I'm going to take my son, who is God in the flesh, whose death is worth immeasurable value because he is God. And I'm going to take him, and I'm going to make this great exchange so that anyone who wants to enter into relationship with me and put down their arms and leave the Taliban and come over and be reconciled, that anyone who wants it can have it. Men and women, this is a shocking message. The world had never heard of a God like this. And so what it means, it means a couple things for us as followers of Jesus. Number one, if you're not a follower of Jesus, 
you're here today, you're not a follower. It, it means that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your crimes are. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. That there is an offer on the table. His life for your life. That's the offer. And you can either accept it or you can reject it. But, but if you reject it, don't ever reject it because you think that you've gone too far or your crimes are too great. Because it has nothing to do about you. It has everything to do about him. Are, are you clear on this? And then secondly, for those of us who are Christ followers, I want you to get something. I want you to catch this. That what the cross is is a constant reminder of how much God loves you. Because the reality is that he loved us when we were Osama bin Laden. This is the reality. That, that God didn't start loving you when you gave your life to Christ. He loved you when you were his enemy. In fact, this is exactly what Paul says. There in your note sheet, this famous verse from Romans 5, where it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still what? Sinners. Now, that, that's like a religious word, stained glass, so we miss it. Uh, two verses later, he defines what he means by sinners. You can check this out later in 510. But two, he, what he means by sinners is enemies. Okay, the word he uses, enemies. In the Greek, the word is ekthroi. While we were his ekthroi, while we were his enemies, while we were in the Taliban, he sent his son because he loved us then. So God didn't start loving you when you came to Christ. He loved you before. And what this means, as followers of Jesus, it's so easy for us to fall into this performance mindset. That if I, if I read my Bible, if I'm serving, if I'm not looking at porn, if whatever the thing, if, that God loves me then. But, but if, I, if, I do the, if I don't do the right things or I do the wrong, that he doesn't love me now. He loves me more on these days than those days. But the reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus, he loves you passionately every day the same amount. Whether you're with him or whether you're against him, you're obeying or you're not, his love for you is passionate and it's relentless and it's eternal and it will never change. Amen? Amen. And, and what that does is it frees us up, right? It frees us up that, that now we can pursue him with passion because we're, we're, not, we're not living under like trying to always win that approval to get his love. We know we're loved, right? And there's great freedom. Now, number two, the second principle that flows out of this passage is that the message demands a response. And so we, we've talked about this, that this, this message is not automatic. In other words, that, that God has sent uh, his son and he sent Paul as an ambassador with this message. It's a message, it's an offer of amnesty for all crimes against the king. But, but this, the, the message that, that it demands a response, like when an ambassador goes to a nation and he makes an offer like a peace treaty, you, you have to either respond or not. And to not respond is to reject it, right? That you, you have to respond. And this is what Paul's heart is for these Corinthians, that they're gonna receive the grace of God in vain. They're not gonna respond. In fact, look at 6.1. He says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you, do not receive the grace of God in, in vain. Um, and, and this is where, can I, can I tell you something about our culture today, this American culture we live in? 
maybe Western world culture, that this is where we've gotten so off track. It's funny, like if you were to interview most people in our culture, you know, doesn't matter, Christian or non-Christian, if you're old, they, they, most people believe there is a God. There are very few real atheists out there. It's a very small percentage-wise. So, so most people believe there's a God, and most people in our culture believe he's a God of love. You hear this all the time. In fact, if you ever talk about judgment, if you ever talk about hell, oh, no, no, I don't believe in a God. I believe in a God of love, right? So, so this is, the interesting thing is, is where do you think our culture got this concept of a God of love? They got it from the message of reconciliation. Because prior to this, no one believed in a God of love. The gods were angry, right? And, and so it's through Jesus that we bought into this concept of the God of love. But what's happened with us as a culture is we've missed the flip side of this. Part of being a God of love is that you're a God of truth. Part of being a God of love is that you're a God of right, but doing the right thing. Part of being a God of love is you're a God of justice. Like, stop and think about this. Uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, is the love chapter, and Paul says, love does not rejoice in evil. It rejoices with the truth. Right, and so, and so you, you don't want someone leading the universe that's always letting everyone off just because they're sorry, right? Like, imagine what that was like. Imagine what a culture was like that, that, that you could kill, you could rape, you could rip off, and you go before the judge and say, I'm sorry, okay, great, that's good, you're gone. You're, 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 yeah. It's like, imagine, and, and none of us want to live in a world like that, right? We want to live in a world where there is justice, right, the way, where the right thing is done. And, and so... So here's what we've forgotten as a culture, that yes, God is a God of love, but we are a culture, we as people, we are under a sentence. And it's a sentence of death. It's a sentence of judgment. It's a sentence for high treason, right? And so, so catch this, that when God makes this incredible offer of amnesty, you can either receive the offer or you can reject the offer. But if you reject the offer, what remains over your head? The sentence, right? You're under the sentence. And so to reject the offer of amnesty is to remain under the sentence. And so there's only two ways out. Either you can pay the price for your treason or Jesus can pay the price for your treason, but someone is gonna pay the price because we live in a just universe where every wrong will be turned to right. And so Paul then goes on and he says, and beyond this, he says, don't put off this decision. Don't put off this decision to receive this offer. He says, now is the day of salvation, right? Why? Because there's danger in putting off the offer. And for those of you who are here today that you have not yet come into relationship with Jesus Christ and accepted this offer, let me just highlight what the danger is. There's kind of three reasons why you need to receive the offer today. Number one is you don't know when you're going to die or when Christ is going to come back. And, and I know as a human race, we are really good at denial, right? So, so we all think we're going to live forever. But the reality is I see this as, as a pastor every week. You know that pretty much every week tragedy hits our congregation, every week. Every week someone dies, every week someone gets cancer, every, I mean, this is part of the human, and to assume that you have, you're going to live out to your 70, 80, 90 years old, you're, 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 you're taking a dangerous bet, right? Jesus could come back 
uh, this is a time-limited offer, and so don't mess with the offer. Accept it now. There's reason number one. Reason number two is the longer you reject the offer and, and stay in your rebellion, the harder your heart becomes. And, and this is the greatest danger. I mean, sometimes when someone, well, Mike, I'm not going to follow Jesus now, but on my deathbed, I'm going to come back to Christ and ask him to forgive me. Won't that work? I'll say, absolutely it will work. If you come back to Jesus and you give him your life on your deathbed, it will work. The question is, if you resist the work of the Holy Spirit in your life for the next 30 years, what makes you think you will want to come back to Jesus in 30 years? You have, you have become so rebellious. Your heart has become so hard. What makes you think if you won't bow the knee to him now that you will bow the knee to him then? Like, what makes you think? If this is the day where God is speaking, this is the day of God's favor, this is the day he's saying, here's my son, the exchange is on the table, it's very real to you. If you resist the grace of God, there will come a day when it's not real to you, and you say, you know what, I don't believe that anymore. You see, when as human beings, when we reject the light God gives, every, the, the lights go out inside, the darkness comes, Right? And there's a third reason you don't want to put off. And the third reason is, if this story is true, that there is a God who loves you so much that while you were his enemy, he sent his son to suffer and die to rescue, do you think that that God may have a better plan for your life than yours? Right? That Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. He knows the path to life. We're all seeking fulfillment. We're all seeking happiness. We're all seeking a purpose in life. We're all trying to figure out life. Well, guess what? God's figured it out. And when you come to Christ, you enter into a new covenant. You receive forgiveness, this new relationship, this new power, a whole new life, a new creation. And so why would you ever put it off? And so if you're here today and you've not yet given your life to Christ, later in this service, I'm going to give you that opportunity. Later in this service, we're going to be celebrating communion together, and which is a sign of the new covenant. We'll talk more about that then. But, but later on, if you want to give your life to Christ today, what better way than to go to the communion table and to receive the, the, or the representative, the body and the blood of Christ, and you ask him into your life and you say, God, I want to enter into covenant, and I'm ready to surrender to you. And so you'll have that opportunity in, in just a few minutes. Now, number three, there's a third message, and this is for those of us who have become followers of Christ. And it goes like this, that the message requires a messenger. And so I want you to catch this, that, that Jesus came to die, and he unleashed a movement. And that movement is, is essentially a missional movement. It, it's a movement that is taking the message of reconciliation out so people can come under the lordship of Christ and be reconciled to God, right? And so when we become a part of that movement, we become a messenger by default. Like, like if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are a messenger of reconciliation. Now you may be a good one or a lousy one, but you are a messenger, right? You, you carry the message. You've experienced the message. You are the messenger. And so Paul talks about himself. If you look at chapter 5, verse 20, and Paul says, we are therefore Christ's what? His ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. And so I talk about this, that Paul is talking primarily about himself. 
that as an apostle of Jesus, he's the ambassador, bringing the message of reconciliation. But, but I think there's an application here that's broader, that for every one of us, when we step into new covenant, we become a, and part of the relationship, that we become a messenger, that we become part of the, part of the movement of Jesus, and it's our job to, to help take out the, the message. This is why here at Rocky Peak, when we crafted our vision statement, and I don't, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, we, we went through about a year and a half praying over this. God, give us the words. Give us the clarity. What do you want to do here at Rocky Peak? What's your calling on us as Christ followers? And so when we chose these words, we chose them so carefully. And so most of you know that the, the, at least the opening line, that our mission, our vision is to unleash a movement of what? Passionate Christ followers. So we have no interest as a church of being a church of church goers. We're not pew or seat sitters, right? We're not coming to be entertained. Like we, we are, our mission is to unleash a movement of people who are passionate about God. People that love Jesus Christ, whose hearts have been captured by him. He's their number one love. It's their top priority to know him and to love him and to please him. That's our calling, that we're gonna unleash a movement of that kind of person. But then we said, but, you know, we need to go beyond that. We need to define what do we mean by passion? Because we want everyone who comes to our church to know, what does it look like to be a passionate Christ follower? How do I know if I'm becoming one? And we said, yeah, it takes in four things. As we looked at the New Testament, it takes in four things. It takes in, number one, pursuing God. That we want to be a church that's pursuing God to please him, to know him as our top priority in life. It takes in loving people. As Jesus has loved us, we're going to learn to love people. Believers, non-believers, we're just going to love people. It, it takes in serving sacrificially. That is part of the movement of Jesus. We're all going to use our time, our gifts, our financial resources to help advance the cause. And then there was a fourth, fourth marker of a passionate Christ follower. And the fourth marker is sharing Christ. That we realize that the gospel doesn't stop with us. That when the message of reconciliation came into your life, it should not stop there like a dam. It should be like a river that flows out. So for example, in your life, someone shared the message of reconciliation with you, right? That's why you're here today. It may be a mother, maybe a father, it could be a grandfather, it could be a, a coworker, <clears throat> it could be a friend, so they're relative. It could be that someone invited you to church and you, you heard the message of reconciliation or to a harvest crusade. I don't know how you came, but if you're here, it's because someone shared the message. And, and the point is, is that, that once you become part of the message, once you receive the message, you become a messenger. And so all of us here, catch it, we're not all called to be evangelists. I'm not talking about every time you get on a bus or ride a, a plane that you, within five minutes, you're sharing the four spiritual laws. I'm not talking about that. I grew up like that. I'll have stories later in the year about that. But, but what I'm talking about is that you have to understand this, that once you become a follower of Jesus, you become part of the message. And, and you're his representative 24-7. And so as a church, we have to learn how to develop a missional mindset, right? That wherever we go, we are representatives of Jesus. 
And, and the way we attack our jobs in the secular marketplace and the way we work as under and the way we live our lives and the way we pursue God and the way we love people and the way we pray for those that we know who don't know Christ and the way we give our money to fund his movement, that, that this is all part of a missional mindset that is part of the movement of Jesus we're out there representing him 24-7. Do you, do you understand this? Are you with me in this? You get this? Okay, so, so the catch is that this means that, that this church is going to go through a change. I believe this is the next big change on the horizon for our church. That, that, that God is beginning to develop in us a missional mindset. That we understand that being part of a rocky peak is not just about us coming in here and growing and changing and being transformed in our weekend services, in our life groups, in our on, that part of what it means to be a movement is that God is equipping us here so that we go out and we just build relationships, intentional relationships with non-believers and the little league team, in the real estate market, while you're cutting someone's hair, uh, the coworker that you're working with, uh, in your neighborhood, that as we're intentionally investing in relationships, we're building relationships, we're loving people well, so that when the time comes and they ask us questions, and I promise you, if you're living for Christ, they will. They'll ask you, what is it, this church? Why do you go to, they ask you, why do you believe the Bible? Or well, your kids seem to really like that Sunday school. Or, or you're in this like life group. What happened? There's, they're going to ask questions. I promise you. And when that time comes that we are ready to share just to make the most of the opportunity, not back up the U-Haul and dump the whole thing. <laughs> you know? But we're going to make the most of the opportunity and we're going to share what's appropriate and not awkward. And, and we're, going to, we're going to give them a little. And if they want more and more, and we're going to invite them to come and see. And the movement of Jesus is going to take off. Can you imagine if just one-third of us in this room in the next year was building an intentional relationship with someone who doesn't know Christ. And within the next year, they started coming here and pursuing God with us. Can you imagine the impact that would, that would have? Just if one-third of us took this seriously, right? And so Paul puts it this way on your note sheet. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, non-believers. He says, be, be wise, be intentional, be strategic. Don't be weird, be wise. <laughs> Can I tell you so many times in the church of Jesus we've read this, be weird in the way. You act towards insider. The weirder you are, the greater the miracle that can happen. You know? Because if you're sufficiently weird, only the power of God can bring someone to Christ. Right? So be weirder the better. Right? And so many times that's, and it's like, no, no, be wise in, in the way. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't try to cram the whole message. Just make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of what? Grace, not condemnation. Grace, why? Because our message is a minister of reconciliation. Our message is one of grace. Season with salt so you may know how to what? To answer everyone. Not cram it down their throats. To answer, right, when questions are, are asked. Right? It's so different when you're answering a question than when you're trying to initiate 
the conversation. Okay, and so, and so as followers of Jesus, we, we, the message is brought to us, we respond to the message, we experience new creation in our life, life transformation, and then we become messengers of the message and the movement of Jesus progresses. And so today, as we come to the end of our service, we wanna celebrate communion together. And I wanna walk you through this, what this means. For those of us who are, are followers of Jesus, well, remember what we learned about communion earlier in this series, that, that uh, communion is really a covenant uh, kind of renewal ceremony, like you have marriage renewal ceremonies. Remember that on the last night Jesus was with his men before he was arrested, they had the Passover meal, which was a representation of his coming death. But remember what he said after dinner, he takes the cup he, of wine, he passes it around, he says, this is the blood of the what? Remember that? This is the blood of the what? The new covenant, right? Jeremiah 30, this is the blood of the new covenant. So, so what he's saying is that, that tomorrow I'm gonna go and die and the new covenant is being initiated through my death. And so how does that work? Well, we learned today how it works. That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so we might become the righteous. That that's, how, that's what Jesus was talking about, the new covenant. And so, so when, as a follower of Jesus, whenever we celebrate communion, it's a covenant renewal ceremony, right? And so when we, we come, two things we're doing as believers, we're remembering the great price that was paid and catch this, we are reveling in the great love that's revealed, okay? We're remembering and we are reveling. And so today as we go to communion, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to remember and I want you to revel, all right? And, and, and in your Father's love for you. And if you've not been a good child recently, if you've been disobedient, it's time to come and to ask forgiveness and to restore that relationship with your Father who loves you. For those of you who are here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you're ready to enter into covenant, I talked about this earlier, that I wanna encourage you as we go around the room, as we go to take communion, that as you take that bread that represents his body, as you take that cup that represents his blood, the new covenant, as you partake of that, I just encourage you to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to take over your life. Surrender your life to his lordship. And, and ask that for this, the gift of his spirit, the gift of amnesty. And I promise you that if you are serious about him, he will be serious about you. He's come after you. And then I would say to those of you who are here that you're, for whatever reason, you're not ready or willing to accept the offer on the table. You know it, for whatever reason. That I encourage you not to take communion because communion is a new covenant symbol. It's, a, it's like a wedding ring. And you don't wear a wedding ring unless you're what? Married. It's be stupid to put on a ring, and it's like you're telling the world you're married if you're not. And so, if someone takes communion but they haven't entered into covenant, it's like saying I'm I'm part I'm 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 in this deal I, I'm in the relationship when I'm not. And so, I would encourage you to hold off until you come to the place you do enter into relationship with Jesus, and, and then it'll all it'll all work. It'll all make sense. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then around the edge of the room are the communion tables and. I'd encourage you just to go and, and to remember and to revel. Uh, I would encourage you to find a place around the room if you just need some time to be alone, pray, uh, talk with God, whatever, and, and, and just spend that moment. The band's gonna be playing a new worship song called Father, which speaks of this amazing love for us in the cross. So feel free to join in or, as, as you feel uh, ready to do that. And so we're just gonna pray now for this moment. Let's pray. God,
We thank you for the cross, the power of the cross. We, we thank you for amazing love that's been expressed to us in Christ. This great exchange that was made possible through the death of your son, a shocking demonstration. And we, we pray today as we come, God, that we would remember, that we would remember that the cross means we're forgiven. We'd remember that the cross means that we're deeply loved. And we remember that we never have to earn your love, that you loved us while we were enemies. And so we're free to live for you, not out of fear that, that you won't love us, but, but out of great love back to you. And so we pray you'd meet us as we go now and meet you at the tables. In Christ's name, amen. I hope you can be with us next week. We continue this journey. Uh, this week, Paul talked about the message and the messenger of course, in Corinth, it was the messenger himself that was being criticized. And so next week, this passage in the first half of chapter 6, Paul talks about how he's lived his life uh, as a messenger of the gospel, how he's commended himself in the life that he's lived. And, and of course, the reason he's talking about his own life is not just to defend himself and his authority for their sake. But Paul's always trying to help us understand that he is just a few steps ahead of us in this life, and he's modeling for us. And so that's why Paul will often say things like, follow me as I follow Christ. And so next week, we're going to talk about the role of models and mentors in our life and, and the power of models and how important it is in our life that we choose the right models and then how important it is we pay close attention to our models that we would live life as they do, and then, and then that we would become a model for others. And so next week, topic on the table is the power of models. And so I hope you can join us as we continue this journey. Until then, uh, may the God of the cross be with you. May the Lord of uh, this amazing love be with you. May the Jesus who suffered and died for you, may he be very present in your life, transforming, changing, awakening empowering you to be a messenger of this movement, of this God who loved so much that he gave his son. And so may this week, may you experience that power in your life, and we'll see you back next week. God bless. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org, where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.